A young girl finds herself trapped and taken by a malevolent spirit that has possessed her body and soul. Her mother is at her wit's end. No doctor or psychologist can tell her what is happening to her daughter. So with nowhere left to go, she calls on a disillusioned priest at the edge of losing his faith. Father Karras brings in the experienced Father Marin to lead the exorcism of Regan McNeil. What follows is one of the most frightening horror films of all time, and a movie that changed the face of horror forever, 1973's The Exorcist. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And you are listening to Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, horror fans. Got a big one for you today. One of the major players of the 70s horror scene, The Exorcist. A horror movie that is responsible for more rosaries around necks than the Pope. It's been freaking out movie fans for almost 50 years and showed the full capabilities of makeup effects, practical special effects, and pure, unadulterated performance. If the characters believe it, there's no doubt that the audience will eat it up and vomit it out like green shit. Hope you had a blast learning about the career of Philip Seymour Hoffman last week as well as hearing our thoughts on the 92nd Oscars this past Sunday. Our next Weird Shit Wednesday will be in a few weeks, where we'll look into the tragic life and underrated career of Hollywood's saddest story, Judy Garland. We'll look into a small selection of five films that we think best represent various stages of her career, and we'll discuss how the bright-eyed little girl from The Wizard of Oz evolved into the lonely, barbiturate-addicted Oscar nominee who died of an overdose at age 47. It's going to be sad but insightful. Judy Garland is a sad fucking story. Just very, very sad. Nobody, like, used by people from the age of, like, 12 to the day she died. And Hollywood's all but forgotten about her, and I'd like to shine a light on her. Yes. About time. Two updates for you on The Rewind. First up, an update on bonus episode 34, Parasite. Bong Joon-ho's Oscar-winning masterpiece Parasite is already getting a special edition release from the Criterion Collection as is his 2003 early crime thriller Memories of Murder, which has never had an American release. Very excited. Super excited. I've never seen that because it's hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> now it'll be, we'll be able to get it for the low price of like 40 bucks. I'm <laughs> going to do it, I think. <laughs> Parasite, that was a quick turnaround for the Criterion. Yeah. They recognize a hit <laughs> pretty quick, immediately. Very quickly, yeah. I was looking at what their uh, scheduled releases are for this year. They're doing an entire box set of Scorsese short films. Nice. Very interested in that. That's really cool. (laughs) I like that a lot. Very cool. Next, an update on our recent episode 50, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Prior to his death, Hoffman had filmed a pilot for the Showtime series Happy-ish, a role that eventually went to Steve Coogan when the show was picked up for series. The original unaired pilot with Hoffman was recently released on YouTube by episode director John Cameron Mitchell. Did you get a chance to look at that? I have not seen that. I haven't either. I'm going to. I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm going to, though. I, I got to. It's the last thing he ever did. Yeah. I got I, I got to. And I heard the show wasn't that good in the end. Yeah. I wonder why he would do this. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do a series. But, I don't know, maybe something was driving him at the end. Maybe he saw something in this project that nobody yeah. else did. Yeah. Maybe this would have been something completely different with him. Mm-hmm. Shame. So, prior to this podcast... What was your experience with The Exorcist? Ah, uh, The Exorcist. One of the earliest classic, quote-unquote, you know, horror films that I ever saw. When I was maybe 13 or so at my friend Chase Higgins' house, we watched it in his, uh, like, media room, and it it caused me, it scared me so much that I was laughing, you know? <laughs> that was my defense mechanism, was, this is dumb, ha you know? And then I watched it again, uh, you know, by myself. And I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of like, it was kind of like, you know, a guilty pleasure. I, or like, I didn't want people to know, you know, that like this actually affected me. Yeah. And that was one of the first movies that happens to fall into the horror category, the horror genre that I saw. Wow. That I, well, not ever. Well, well, yeah. One of the, like the first classics. Yeah. Uh, one of the first big ones, you know, the big R ones, you know, the big, like scary ones. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I continue to watch it like at least twice a year for the past, you know, 12 years, I guess. <laughs> uh, it, I adore it. I adore every piece of it. I think it's uh, misunderstood by a lot of fans. A lot of people who watch it expect it to be this jaw-dropping, 
feast, you know, of, of scares because it's called the fucking exorcist, you know, and it's hailed as one of the scariest films of all time. I just totally disagree with that. It's not one of the scariest films of all time. It's one of the spookiest, creepiest, atmospheric films of all time. And that's what director William Friedkin was so good at. Um, obviously followed up, uh, followed up the French connection with this and just, you know, a mastermind director, a guy who really saw th- amazing shots and just kind of iconic stuff, you know, uh, in the exorcist there's so many things you can point out we'll we'll get to them as we go that are just breathtaking breathtaking cinematography breathtaking directing and that's what lasts with this film for me so it's not the fact that it is the horror aspect of it that that has an imprint on me i think this movie is like perfect as a story as representing the horror genre that if you believe it it is true if you think you're possessed you're possessed if you think a demon's in you a demon's in you and The Exorcist, there's many times where that is like said through the dialogue. If you're paying attention, like read between the lines, it's there. And I love that. It's like talking about all the things I love about horror, but it doesn't really have the frights and the jump scares that you would expect out of it. It's kind of like a conundrum. It's, it's Well, this was at a time, jump scares and horror are really more of a recent thing. Yes. Back then, they really had to try for their scares. Yeah. They had to fuck you up they had to do something that you'd never seen before yeah like, the exorcist really accomplished that like the 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 stairs obviously are going on the stairs the, the stairs the green the, vomit the, the green vomit the masturbating yeah. with a crucifix there's yeah. things in here yeah. that were unseen as of 1970 oh yeah oh yeah and to show these in a mainstream like this wasn't in you know quiet you know back alley movie theaters this was in the you know, Cineplex. Oh, yeah. This was huge. This was a huge hit. This is the this is the guy who directed French Connection, which Millions just won a bunch of this. Oscars. Yeah, like, and they were all extremely disturbed by this. Yeah, and it. I think about that sometimes. Like, there was a time when nobody knew what to expect from this thing, and I can't imagine walking away from this like in 1973 and thinking, "What the fuck did I just watch?" Yeah, like you feel unclean. Like, you just invited something dark into your soul. Yeah, well, that that's, you know, that's, you, you know, I know. The 70s, that especially that, that like, there's that niche, like, A Clockwork Orange came out in 71. Yeah. There's just some, yeah. some fucked up stuff. The early 70s. Because there, was, there was finally freedom. Yeah. Freedom in Hollywood. Freedom in filmmaking, in American filmmaking. Yeah. The Hades Code was Oof. dead. It, you know, the movement of independent film is just starting out. So you had films, filmmakers like Wes Craven starting out with Last House on the Left. Yeah, Dominating, yeah. you know, grisly shit in film. Mm-hmm. And in between, you know, that's sandwiched between Clockwork Orange and The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. So 71 to 73, moviegoers were not safe at all. And then soon yeah. after that was fucking Deliverance. Yes. <laughs> it just yes. doesn't stop. No, yeah. And, you, and you, you lead up into, it all comes to like a screeching halt in The Shining in 1980. The 70s are fucking insane. <laughs> And horror has, you know, we're going to eventually do like the Wicker Man. Like, my yeah. God, you know, there's just stuff that's just out there. But it's, but The Exorcist is like a good film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not putting down its, its t- scare tactics. It just doesn't have like what The Conjuring has. But I think that's. You know, you know what I mean? Like, that's more a recent thing. Yes. That's because. Those I mean, movies have kind of like, I don't want to say perfected that, like that craft, but they yeah. kind of have. Because it's because it's fucking too, you know Conjuring's 2013. We've it just seen looks really good. So much since yeah. The Exorcist. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, it's the same problem that movies like The Blair Witch Project have. Yeah, and just things yeah. that never, you know, were amazing then. With age and more people doing that, you see similar tropes. You see things get desen- better. You get desensitized too. You get very desensitized, yeah. especially horror fans. You know, yeah, it's very hard to scare. When you, well, fans. yeah, and when you're like itching for something that's different and gonna actually frighten you. Yeah. The Exorcist might not totally be what you're looking True. for. But if you're looking for a solid, well-crafted movie, <sighs> yeah. look no further. If you're, yeah, if you're looking for a like legendary story and a like gripping, like yeah. cliff, you know, like your edge of your seat type stuff, like that's that's what you have here. That's what The Exorcist is. Very true. Very true. The Exorcist was based on the 1971 horror novel of the same name by William Peter Blatty, who based his novel on the true story of the real exorcism of an anonymous boy known as Robbie Mannheim or Roland Doe that occurred in 1949. Depends on who's telling the story. 
Some experts think Mannheim was likely a mentally ill teenager acting out, though three exorcisms were carried out by qualified Catholic priests. And I've heard this story. It's fucking insane. And uh, we're not going to go into it here, but definitely look that up. Robbie Mannheim, Roland Doe, weird-ass story. Hard to know what exactly was going on there. No surprise that it inspired a movie like this. Yeah. Blatty would write the script for the movie. Oscar winner William Friedkin was brought on to direct after Stanley Kubrick turned Warner Brothers down. God, Kubrick's the exorcist. That would have messed with people. I know. (laughs) God, what would he have gone, like how far would he have gone to get a performance out of Linda Blair? Jesus Christ. Friedkin won an Oscar for Best Director for 1971's The French Connection, and he would be nominated again for The Exorcist. Some of his other projects include The Boys in the Band, To Live and Die in L.A., The Hunted, and Bug. Casting was an interesting process, as many different incredible actors wanted in on this project. The studio wanted Marlon Brando for Father Marin, but Friedkin turned that down as he didn't want Brando to overshadow the movie. He didn't want to make a Brando movie. Yeah. He's making The Exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. Any movie Brando popped in is no longer whatever that movie's about. It's now a Brando movie. Yes. He had that kind of star power. Understandable, yeah. The role went to Oscar-nominated Swedish actor Max von Sydow, who would go on to be nominated for his performances in 1987's Pell the Conqueror and 2011's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. He's also appeared in Flash Gordon, Minority Report, Ghostbusters 2, The Seventh Seal, Game of Thrones, and most recently, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Yes. I feel like he's been around for fucking ever. Like centuries he's before been, movies were even a thing. He's yeah. been 60 years old his entire life. It's really weird. <laughs> but he'll always be fucking Ming the Merciless to me. Yeah. I like Death that. to Ming! I like that. God. I really... We're going to do Flash Gordon one day, and it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> we have to. The role of Father Karras was offered to Jack Nicholson, Stacy Keach, and Paul Newman was also interested. The role eventually went to stage actor Jason Miller, who would get his sole Oscar nomination for The Exorcist. He would also return in The Exorcist 3. He died in 2001 at age 62 from a heart attack, and I remember reading that Friedkin thought Jack Nicholson was too unholy to play a priest. <laughs> well, you just gotta throw the water on him. You know? There's no way. Yeah, there's no way. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I there's no never, way. I would never believe that in a heartbeat. Oh, God. <laughs> he just looks like a sinner. <laughs> Paul Newman, though. That would have been interesting. 73 Paul Newman as Father Karras. I like that. Yeah. I like that hypothetical. That's cool. I love that this Also is... might become a little bit of a Newman movie, though. True. So not as big of a brand of... Yeah, I don't know. Like reading about all the actors who were interested in this, it's not just your run-of-the-mill... I, I hate to say this, but it's not your run-of-the-mill horror film. This is a project that attracted so many people because they believed in this work. They thought this script was unbelievable. This was something that was going to change the game. And, man, and everybody could tell. Yeah, and to work with Friedkin? Come on. Yeah. Like, this guy's the shit. To follow up your Oscar-winning movie with a twisted horror film about satanic possession. That's my kind of director. Like, yeah. God damn. Hell yeah. The role of terrified and determined mother Chris McNeil attracted many big-name actresses of the time. Audrey Hepburn wanted the role, but only if production agreed to move to Rome, as she had just moved there with her husband. Friedkin turned her down, as this would have ballooned production costs. He turned next to Anne Bancroft, who also eagerly wanted the role, but only if production could be delayed nine months, as she had just become pregnant. Yes. Again, Friedkin didn't want to have to wait that long. No. Let's get the show on the road. So he turned to Jane Fonda, who said no, as she believed the film to be, quote, piece of capitalist ripoff bullshit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly what Jane Fonda would say about this. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't really see it. I don't see how this movie has anything to do with capitalism, but you know, whatever. Well, see, what'd she say? She said it was a uh, piece of capitalist ripoff bullshit. Capitalist ripoff bullshit, so... It's funny, because in 73, this was pretty original. Yeah, I'm trying to think, maybe... Hmm. I just don't understand that perspective, maybe. I don't know. We're just missing something, maybe, I she, guess. Probably the weed. <laughs> yeah, it's all that damn acid from the 60s. Yeah. She was Jane Fonda yeah. in 73. She hadn't been sober for several years. Yeah, true. <laughs> this was yeah. true. This is 50 years ago, yeah. <laughs> William Peter Blatty suggested his friend Shirley MacLaine, 
but Friedkin was hesitant as she had just appeared in the 1971 horror movie The Possession of Joel Delaney, which had a similar theme. The role eventually went to Oscar winner Ellen Burstyn, who believed she was destined for the part. Burstyn won her only Oscar to date for her performance in 1974's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and she was also nominated for her performances in 1971's The Last Picture Show, 1973's The Exorcist, 1978's Same Time Next Year, 1989's Resurrection, and 2000's Requiem for a Dream. Unbelievable. Burstyn has also been around for fucking ever, and she shows no signs of stopping. She's a goddamn champion. Yes. <laughs> One love, of the best actresses in the game. Love Ellen Burstyn, yeah. <laughs> her, her performance in Requiem for a Dream scared the shit out of me. She's, she's what I remember from that movie. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic. I'm kidding, man. The role of Regan McNeil was a difficult one to cast. Several directors had passed on the role as they didn't believe any 12-year-old girl could do the things that happened in the script. They first considered several known actresses, such as Pamela Ferdin, Denise Nickerson, and Anissa Jones. Denise Nickerson is Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ah. Ferdinand Jones became too well-known to the public to pull it off successfully, and Nickerson's parents were so troubled by the material that they said no. <laughs> Fair enough. Then, Friedkin met Linda Blair at a blind audition. Blair impressed him so much with her spontaneity and her grown-up mentality that she was cast pretty much immediately. Blair would get an Oscar nomination for The Exorcist, and she would return for Exorcist II, The Heretic, 1977. She became a scream queen thanks to this movie and pretty much never lived it down. She will always be Regan McNeil. Yes, indeed. She had a cameo in an episode of Supernatural in, I think, season, season three or four. And as she's walking away, Dean Winchester, the main character, suddenly goes, you know, I, I have a weird craving for pea soup all of a sudden. Oh. It was a brilliant, like... Oh, oh, that's good. I love it. That's good. <laughs> just, for the, just for the horror fans out there. Yeah. Just for yeah, people like us. <coughs> the Exorcist has an IMDb score of 8.0, Rotten Tomatoes score 84%. It was a huge success, grossing $441 million on a budget of only $12 million. How about that? Anybody who saw this told everybody they knew, you got to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Adjusted for inflation, The Exorcist is the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Yes, yes, yes. It won two Oscars, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound Mixing. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress for Ellen Burstyn, Best Supporting Actor for Jason Miller, Best Supporting Actress for Linda Blair, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, and Best Film Editing. It spawned two sequels, two prequels, and a TV series. This thing was enormous. Monster. <laughs> One of the most important films of the 20th century. Christ. Absolutely massive for the horror genre, obviously. Oh, yes. And, you know, who says horror movies don't get Oscars, don't get nominated? No. The Exorcist says, we yeah. do. <laughs> If you want to be a horror movie that gets nominated, you got to change the game. Exactly. You got to, yeah, you got to, there's a lot of genres when it comes to rating and awarding all movies. Yeah. All film. True. Yeah, you got to stand out. Exactly. Step stand it up. Out. So let's go into the plot of The Exorcist. Here we go. So we start with Father Lancaster Marin. He's an elderly Catholic priest on an archaeological dig in Iraq. He has a sense of foreboding. And he encounters a whole bunch of strange omens. He uncovers some old statues and figures of demonic entities. So he's, this whole scene is here basically to establish that something is being unearthed. Something that has been laying dormant for a very long time is out. And it doesn't like Father Marin. It's, uh, it's never made clear in the movie, but the sequels show that this demonic entity is a creature called Pazuzu. Yes. A demon. It's not the devil, regrettably. It's Pazuzu. It's funny because I knew Pazuzu as the name of Professor Farnsworth's gargoyle in Futurama. So the second I heard Pazuzu, I couldn't stop laughing. I just think of the uh, <laughs> that dessert from uh, BJ's, the restaurant. Pazuki. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, there it is. Now I'll never be able to take this movie seriously again. <laughs> Fuck me. Pazuki. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, so back in the States, in Georgetown, in D.C., we meet a successful actress named Chris McNeil, who's filming a movie about some kind of protest. She begins experiencing some strange shit. She lives with her 12-year-old daughter, Regan, 
her personal assistant, Sharon, and two housekeepers, one of which is this weird German guy named Carl. Yeah. <laughs> Reed's father isn't there for reasons that are never really explained. He's in Europe. And she never tells him about this. <laughs> Chris no. never calls dad to say like, hey, our daughter is possessed by the devil. Yeah, our, our whole house is rocking right now. She yeah. might have killed a man. Like, fuck, man. Yeah. That's not something you want to hear from the help. No. No. <laughs> Jesus. You got like a nine hour plane ride just to get back. Yeah. No. Yeah. Jesus. So there's weird sounds coming from the attic, which Chris just says, oh, it's rats. It's traditional, you know, haunted house setup, traditional horror movie setup. Weird shit's happening. Nobody believes it until shit starts happening to them. Yeah. Regan starts acting weirdly. She starts cussing people out and they take her to get a CAT scan. Yeah. And <laughs> this this worst doctor in the fucking world is just like, oh, it's nerves. Every time it's like, oh, it's just, a, just nerves. <laughs> I would have loved when <laughs> near the uh, middle of the movie when he comes to the house and he like sees the bed rocking and her like throwing sh- shit around the room with her mind. He just walks out and is like, this is a pretty serious case of nerves. I really wanted him to say that. <laughs> Man, this is nerve wracking. I've never seen anyone this nervous in my life. <laughs> oh, he's a terrible doctor. That wow. happens a lot in horror movies. This is unnerving. I feel like I've said this before on this podcast, something about a terrible doctor. This seems to happen a lot. <laughs> oh, man. How about that scene where she gets a CAT scan? That fucked with me. I don't know why. I've never seen it like that Spooky. before. Spooky. It was, I, I was watching it with my mom and my grandpa, and they both told me that apparently that's how they used to do a CAT scan. Yeah. That's scarier than the demon. Agreed. <laughs> I don't want that shit. Neither do I. Fuck that. And then later when they, like, they bleed her, like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> what is going on at doctor's offices in the 70s? Georgetown needs to step up their game and hire some fucking doctors because they got witch doctors working there. Oh, no, what's happening in the medical schools uh, over there in Georgetown? Yeah, They are bleeding out kids like it's the 1700s. (laughs) 12-year-olds, Christ. (laughs) Or maybe I'm an idiot and that's some medical procedure that I don't know anything about. (laughs) Possibly. Probably what's going on. (laughs) So for me, the first like real scary moment of the movie is when Chris goes into Regan's room and the bed is just shaken. And Regan is on the bed screaming. It looks so... Re- that scene looks very authentic. That's good. Well, they did it. They, I know. They fucked up Linda Blair's back. Yeah, didn't she have to, like, actually, actually go to the doctor? Yeah, she had. Yeah. She got a, uh, yeah. a disc slipped or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. They were rough on this movie. There's, yeah. There's no punches pulled on this Well, movie. no, and it, it shows. Yeah. Ellen Burstyn, when they threw her back, one, uh, she fucked up her spine, still has issues. Yeah, the things they sacrificed for the work that in the bed, 70s. That bed is actually just... Oh, yeah. Oof. Creepy. Teeter-tottering. <laughs> and uh, Chris's director is this weird dude named Burke Dennings, Jack McGowan, who you may recognize as the professor in The Fearless Vampire. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and there's he is such a creep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's pissing off Carl, just saying shit about the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> At the party. What an asshole. That seems hilarious, though. Just all these, these, they're just people I would never hang out with, you know, or I've never, yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, pretentious art community of Georgetown. Yeah. Just, he's funny. He's got everything but the beret. He's, he's the worst of this entire mindset. Uh, And it's heavily implied that he's molesting Regan. Yeah. Which is pretty fucked up. So with that in mind, I mean, it's very obviously the devil. Like, this is, there's some supernatural shit happening in this movie. But it could be that she's so traumatized by that that she creates this alternate persona that starts fucking with people. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hear about so many cases, and this comes to other movies that have been more recent. I, I like to point out in comparison, I, I'd say The Conjuring is the closest to capturing what The Exorcist for me, anyway, I, there's there's more movies, but that's just the one. That's like a big one that was very successful as well. Yeah. So yeah, we've had plenty of movies that have done that. That sort of trope of what you believe, what you believe is going on, you know. And so yeah. we have a twelve year old here, mm-hmm. Regan, like you said, is dealing with these horrible things outside. Yeah. And yeah, you don't you don't know what 
what she could be making up in her own mind of her own purpose or torment, you know, and torture. It's pretty, it's pretty gray in my opinion. It's not black and white. It's, it's gray until she turns her head completely around. Of course. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, yeah. But the process is very, that's why these doctors are, they don't know what they haven't seen this. They don't know what's, well, that's the case in real life exorcism. A lot of this comes out of traumatic um, events and behavior. Most of the time, it's not the devil. But if you come from a religious upbringing and you are horribly traumatized by something evil like a, a child molester or a death, then you're going to think it's the devil's work. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to be in your head and it's going to fuck with you. And I can see why, you know, past incidences like the the uh, possession of Annalise Michelle that would inspire the exorcism of Emily Rose, the Robbie Mannheim case in this case, it's... It can be contributed to just, you know, really disturbed children. But is there a supernatural side to it? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I don't think we'll ever know for sure. Mm-mm. But I like that movies like this kind of set you up in one way and then take you completely the other way. Yes, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So we also meet Father Karras. Yes. Who is a local priest, uh, lives with his ailing mother. He's on the edge of his of his faith. He's about to lose God. And he doesn't really know why. He's just kind of fault, like faltering. He's looking for a sign to show him that he's on the right path in life. And he, his story is kind of happening at the same time as Chris and Regan's story. Yes. And it converges after Chris takes Regan to see like two more doctors who just say like, Ooh, this is a nervous kid. And um, yeah, yeah. Man. Well, you got to calm her down. It's one of the doctors who suggests like, have you tried contacting a priest? Yeah. Which that is some end of your rope shit. When the doctor says, Hey, you better go see a, a priest. Yeah, do some praying yeah. or something because we, yeah, we, that's, we, yeah, I mean, that's the last thing you want to hear from We don't have the capability. Yeah. Like, we can't do anything. You better go talk to God. This is, this is beyond medical stuff. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so Burke is killed. The creepy director guy is killed outside their house. He's found in the, uh, the staircase right outside Regan's window with his head turned completely around. And this local cop, uh, What's the cop's name? Um, well, he's played by Lee J. Cobb, so I'll just call him Cobb. Yeah, yeah, let's call him Cop Cab. Sure, why not? He talks to Father Karras about this, and he's like, hey, where were you? And he's like, I don't have to tell you a damn thing. He's, he's a very uh, loose with the commandments priest. <laughs> it's actually kind of awesome. He's like, if Rocky was a priest... <laughs> But he's the Cobb is convinced that somebody murdered Burke Dennix and he wants to know why. And he thinks the priest might have something to do with it or at least might be able to help. And uh, Father Karras's mother uh, falls ill. And because he can't afford better care, she gets put in a mental hospital, in a like psych ward full of crazy people. And she is just she blames him for being here, which is Jesus. It's got to hurt. <laughs> and she dies in that hospital. Just adding to father Karras's load. He is just distraught as fuck. You know, his last thing he's, his mother said to him was like, why did you put me in here? Yeah. That's, that's got a way heavy. Ugh. And, uh, these strange occurrences of course, begin to escalate. Regan reveals she's been playing with a Ouija board and been communicating with a spirit that she calls Captain Howdy. And this is actually what happened to Robbie Mannheim. Kid played with a Ouija board. Something came in. Never play with a Ouija board. Nope. Jesus. There's so many of these stories I hear that start with, well, I found a Ouija board. No, it should end right there. <laughs> and then you then you put it away. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ugh. So... Uh, Chris asks one of her uh, her friends, uh, a reverend, Father Dyer, 
is played by a real reverend, William O'Malley, who was a consultant on the movie. Chris asks him, like, what's the deal with Father Karras? And he's, he's, she's noticed him around. And apparently he's pretty intense. She finds out they're good friends. And during the party, Regan appears, you know, happy and social. But then after she gets sent to bed, when they're all playing on, uh, on piano, she comes down in her nightgown, pisses on the carpet, points at an astronaut, and says, you're going to die up there. <laughs> Eesh. Creepy. The guests leave. Chris... Chris uh, bathes Regan, puts her to bed, but there's a loud sound, and Chris goes, to, that's when she finds the bed, just, you know, acting all crazy, and Chris jumps on the bed to try to stop this, and the yeah. bed still goes. So it's clearly not Regan. Something else is in this, is involved here. <laughs> the doctors think, you know, oh, it's a, it's a brain lesion, despite having no evidence of that. And they uh, they sedate her. Chris goes to the psychiatrist. He's like, hey, probably demonic possession. Yeah, take two of these, call me in the morning. And they say, you know, exorcism is not, uh, it's not a surefire cure for anything. It's a last resort. Yes. But if you have a religious background and if you believe, it could possibly help. And Chris is skeptical. She's not religious, so that's the last thing she wanted to hear. <laughs> she goes home to find uh, the house is deserted except for Regan. And she's alone in her bedroom. She had a deep sleep. The housekeeper stepped out. Mm-hmm. And the bedroom's freezing cold. <laughs> and that's when she finds out Burke is dead. And the cop is Kinderman. That's the guy. Yes, name. William Kinderman. Yeah. yeah, he's suspicious. He questions Chris about the events of that evening. Says like, "It looks like he fell from your win- from your daughter's window." And Chris is nervous. Like, I don't know. You know, my daughter's been acting out, but she would never do that. But in her mind, she's like, "What happened? Something happened." Oof. And this is where we get like the truly, the first truly fucked up scene of the movie. Chris hears a deep male voice screaming at Regan to do it. And Regan is screaming in protest. And in the bedroom, Chris finds Regan uh, basically stabbing herself in the vagina with a crucifix. Yeah. Which is real. Imagine seeing that in 73. Like, Jesus. Imagine seeing that now. Imagine, Imagine going to the theater, you and I, we were going to see the new horror movie and a 12-year-old, Jacob Tremblay, is doing some shit. You know, obviously it's a different, you know, it's a boy. But you know what I mean? Like a, a child star is yeah. doing some fucked up shit to their own body. Yeah. Whoa. And then, yeah, 50 years ago? Weird. It's just really weird that this, like, was in a movie. And it is, it is frightening. It's like, amazing that what, like, the level of shit freaking got away with. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right there should have been, like, a hardcore X from the MPAA. But they were like, nah, it's an R. Yeah. It's, it's actually a- amazing he didn't have to cut anything. It's a horror movie. But, fuck. Oof. Chris tries to stop her, and Regan, like, hurls her across the room. Furniture starts moving around on its own. And <laughs> her, uh, Regan's head turns around completely. And she screams at Chris in Burke's voice, do you know what she did, your cunting daughter? And that's when Chris realizes her daughter killed Burke. So Chris is now like, she's she's got nothing left. Like, she's burned out. She's losing her mind now. She's terrified. So she goes to meet with Father Karras, and she mentions an exorcism. Karras is like, an exorcism? What are you talking about? Like, we don't do that here. (laughs) That's not... He doesn't know anyone who's ever actually done one. And Chris is like, look, I have nothing. I I don't know what to do. No ideas. I need your help. Can you just come see her? And he's like, all right. So he goes to meet, Karis goes to the house to meet Regan. And she is tied to the headboard. Her face is all scarred up, covered in lesions. And her eyes are like, there's something up with her. Her eyes are like deep and red. shadowy, yeah. Her voice is gravelly. And Regan announces that she's the devil and screws with Karis. 
making a drawer open by itself. Speaks to him in a number of languages, including Latin. She also conjures up the voice of a vagrant that he met earlier. And through all this, Karis is not convinced, which makes me laugh. Like, what does he have to see? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Karis is just like, no. The nerves. drawer alone would have been enough for me. Yeah. Or, you know, the fact that this little girl looks like the fucking devil. <laughs> or the yeah, or the multiple languages. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Oof. And then Regan claims, your mother's in here with us. Would you like to tell her something? I'll make sure she gets it. Karis asks her what asks uh, Regan what her what his mother's maiden name is, and she can't answer it. And then he vom- she vomits the green shit all over him. Yeah, Ugh. and that pissed off Jason Miller big time because that was supposed to hit his chest. It was not supposed to hit his face, and his disgust is real. And as soon as the cameras went off, he was livid. He got really pissed at Friedkin for doing that to him. So they did it in one take. Beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. It's one of the most iconic scenes of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still, still so disgusting. Oh, God. So Chris cleans up Karis, and they discuss Regan. And Karis, he's still not convinced. <laughs> I love it. It's like this guy needs to see, like, a red dude with a pitchfork to believe that the devil is real. <laughs> so... The reason he's not possessed is because Regan says she's the devil. And always, you know, with the fake exorcism, it's always the devil. It's never a, you know, lower demon. Everyone's always possessed by the devil. (laughs) Which I understand, you know. It's never a lower demon. If you're going to be possessed, you know, aim high. A low tier. Yeah. I don't want to be be possessed by some low tier demon named like Joe. Oh. Yeah. Fuck off, Azazel. I want another. I want the big dog. (laughs) I want number one. Beelzebub or bust. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Give me the real deal. <laughs> oh, this might be our last episode. We might both get killed in our sleep by the devil. <laughs> You'll find out next week. So <laughs> or you won't. <laughs> yeah. So Chris is like, look, I know my daughter, and that's not my daughter. There is something in there with my daughter. You need to help me get it out. <laughs> So Karis thinks, you know, this is over, and Kinderman comes back and questions him about the uh, recent uh, uh, desecration of church ground, how that could be connected to Burke's death. And that's when Karis finds out about the, you know, Burke's body being found uh, outside the McNeil house. But his confidentiality as a priest prevents him to discussing his interactions with the McNeil family with Kinderman. And Kinderman is very, like, pissed off about this. He's like, come on, man, you're the only one who can help me. And he's like, piss off, cop. And I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing, but basically. Piss off, cop. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so Karis visits Regan again, this time recording their conversation. And he sprinkles Regan with water, telling her it's holy water. And she writhes in pain, says it burns, speaks in a backwards language. And it's funny because it's not holy water. Which, is it all just belief? Is that what this movie's about? I think, yeah. Partly, yeah. Or is it because he's a priest with water? Does it automatically become holy water? I don't know. I think it is, you know, a a piece of, like, if you believe it's power, then it's powerful. A lot of horror movies deal with this. Yeah. Like, what you believe can kill you or what you believe can save you. Mm Mm-hmm. So, since the water wasn't holy water, Karis tells Chris he's going to have a hard time making a case with the Vatican about this. And the bishop and Karis would consider Regan to be mentally ill, not possessed. So that's when Chris tells Karis, like, look, I think my daughter killed somebody. (laughs) And I need this to be over. Karis listens to the tape recordings backwards, realizing that's what it is. And... A phone call from, um, he gets a phone call telling him to go to the house. And Regan's unconscious body has the words, help me, appear on her chest, which is pretty screwed up. So at this point, Karis has got to believe something, right? (laughs) That doesn't just happen. Words don't appear on people. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so backwards, what she was screaming was uh, fear him. Uh, she she yells the name Marin. So Father Marin, the guy we saw at the beginning, yes, is the one that the, this demon fears, and he probably demon probably shouldn't have shared that information. You notice how with the, like there's the weird rules with demons, like you know, say their name, you have power over them and shit like that. Yeah. Why do they have rules? I don't know. I would lie about if I was a demon. I would lie about these rules all the time. That's that's why it's like gray to me because it's the it's all it's all it's kind of all your opinion. True. You can be like this is bullshit, and I can't you can't argue with that. But you can also be like, no, this is all totally real, and I, you can't argue with that either. So crazy. It really is. Movies like this just kind of, they make you, they make you kind of choose like in that moment to believe it or not, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's really powerful. (laughs) It's kind of scary, but powerful. Oh, very. (laughs) So at this point, Karis is like, all right, I'll do the exorcism. (coughs) I wish he'd been like, but it's going to cost you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't say that. I mean, I still think she's nervous, but (laughs) I'll do it. He's a very nervous child. I don't know if we can do this. (laughs) <laughs> so he call, the church calls in Father Marin to perform the exorcism with Karis assisting Marin who has done this in the past and uh, including one difficult one that almost killed him Marin arrives at the McNeil house and has a classic image of him standing outside the house in the, in the spotlight with oh, the hat dude. and the briefcase just the exorcist is here oh, <laughs> just Breathtaking image. Oh, like, yeah. It really is just one of those iconic horror images, movie images. Yeah. I saw somebody, it was an article about um, movie uh, poster mashups, and somebody had done The Exorcist and Uncle Buck. So it was John Candy standing up there. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's awesome. That's all I can see now every That's time I see awesome. that poster. I really like that. <laughs> That's cool. Fantastic. So... As soon as he enters the house, Regan screams his name from upstairs, starts making animal noises, and Marin sits Karis down and gives him the lay of the land. Like, look, don't talk to it. The demon's going to screw with you. Just let me do the talking and focus on the words, do the prayer, you know, throw the water. <laughs> You're here to assist. Let me exercise you assist. <laughs> they enter the room. And, they be, and she just hits him with obscenities. Like, vicious, ridiculous shit. Your mother sucks, sucks cocks in hell is one of the most famous ones. <sighs> Whew. Damn. So, Marin and Karis recite the ritual of exorcism, and Regan starts, you know, making shit fly, starts fucking with him. And uh, she's constantly just cursing the priests out, laughing at them. And Regan begins to talk to Karis in the voice of his mother. And he falls apart pretty fast. He's not put, you know, he's not cut out for this. No. Marin sends him away. And it's like, hey, you go. Go, 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 go. I got this. You're not, you're not good for this. He comes back, finds Marin dead on the floor. <laughs> so the exorcism itself, I was wondered, like, why are they just flicking holy water? Dude, fill up a bucket. Fill up a bathtub and dunk this bitch. Like, this is... Drown the, her. This yeah. is the devil himself. I, you know, hook up a fire hose and just spray with the holy water. Yeah. Like, why are you being stingy? Are you going to run out? Bless a tap and bring and get this shit like, through there. I mean, God. The power of Christ compels you. Someone bring these guys a power washer. Yes. Let's go. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Rick Dalton before Rick Dalton even happened. Yeah. Oh my God. So Marin's dead. Karis is like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh. So Mar- Karis is now like, all right, I'm done. Grabs Regan and like starts attacking her. And it's like, demon, take me. Come into me. And the demon's like, all right. Like immediately like, yeah, okay. Goes right into Karis. Karis begins to transform. Regan's like freaking out. She's back. And before Karis can do, like the demon Karis can hurt her, he takes over and hurls himself out the window. Killing himself and the demon 
in the process. Very sad. So Karis gets his faith back and gives his life to save this girl. Wonderful. Incredible arc. Incredible sacrifice. Yeah. Ugh. Father Dyer happens to come across the scene and administers last rites to Father Karis. Chris runs into the room, sees Regan crying on the floor, hugs her daughter. All is, well, not, not good. They're going to be fucked up forever, but all is better. The demon will not be harming a child anymore. Yeah. Nope. Not until part two. Took, t- took a couple bodies with him, though. Oh, yeah. Left a bloody trail. Yeah. In a brief epilogue, we see Chris and Regan as they're about to leave. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's not the house, but I could never be comfortable in there again. No. And uh, Dad still doesn't know about any of this, by the way. I just want to point that out. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know. How was Georgetown? Eh. Three out of five stars. <laughs> I think we're moving, though. <laughs> so Father Dyer goes to visit them. Chris speaks to them privately, tells him that Regan doesn't remember anything about her time as Pazuzu or the exorcism. Regan greets him cheerfully, stares at his white collar for a little bit, which was a little unnerving. Yep. Gives him a kiss, hugs him. As Chris pulls away in the car, she orders the driver to stop and gives Father Dyer the the, uh, medallion that Father Karras had. And... Father Karras, I mean, Father Dyer gives it to her and says, like, you, you better hold on to this. Yeah, no kidding. And they, Chris and Regan leave, they move, and Father Dyer walks past the stairs. And that's the end of the movie. Pretty crazy. And it, weirdly, oh, it's not really, it's mostly about the family. There's only a little bit of actual exorcism yeah. in this movie. So let's get into some filmgasm facts. Number one. Due to death threats against Linda Blair from religious zealots who believed the film, quote, glorified Satan, Warner Brothers had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. Jeez. Linda Blair had to go on a talk show circuit to tell people she wasn't actually the devil. She's just a 12-year-old girl. Because people don't know how movies work. Nope. (laughs) Still don't. Yeah, my God. Christopher Reeve did not have to take a talk show circuit to tell people he wasn't fucking Superman. Why does this only happen with horror movies? People go crazy. Ugh. Number two, the demon seen but not named throughout this movie is Pazuzu, a demon known in Assyrian and Babylonian mythology as the demon that brings famine during the dry seasons and locusts during the rainy seasons. He was the king of the demons of the wind. Seems kind of a low level. I don't know. I feel like payment would fuck this guy up. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> One thing I noticed about Hereditary, payment doesn't fuck around. Oh. He gets shit done. Pazuzu moves, fucks around. Payment moves swiftly. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, producers sought to have Jamie Lee Curtis audition for the role of Regan, but her mother, Janet Lee, refused. Oh. So Jamie Lee's career could have started a little early. Number four, the entire exorcism scene from start to end only lasts nine minutes. The exorcism is nine minutes of this movie. Yeah. That, that's kind of incredible. And number five, get this. There is an actual serial killer in The Exorcist. Paul Bateson, an x-ray technician by profession, is one of the radiologists present during the carotid angiography scene. Several years later, he was convicted of murdering film critic Addison Verrill. Bateson became the prime suspect in what were known as the bag murders, carried out from 77 to 78, in which six male victims were mutilated and dismembered that remains wrapped in black plastic bags and dumped in the Hudson River. Some of the grisly fragments washed up on the Jersey Shore, others coming to ground near the World Trade Center. These murders were the inspiration for another of William Friedkin's films, Cruising, starring Al Pacino. So there is one of the extras in the, in the uh, hospital scene was an active fucking serial killer. Unbelievable. Oh my God. As if there was more evil that needed to be in this movie. Yeah, just add some uh, Jesus, some very real yeah. realism there. To top that off, a lot of there were a lot of accidents on set. Several of the actors died prior to the film's release, including Jack McGowan, whose character dies in the movie, which is a little strange. Yeah. So there is this rumor of an exorcist curse, similar to the Omen, Poltergeist. Yeah. Certain movies that deal with certain shit have weird shit happen. It's strange, but and it happens a little too often. Yeah, I know, especially with like big, massive yeah. movies. Yeah. 
but not lately, which is odd. Like movies like Hereditary and The Conjuring were pretty run of the mill film sets. Yeah, which I think some of those are way darker than some. of But whatever, you know. I don't indeed, know. indeed. Maybe film sets just weren't that secure back then. Maybe there was a lot of accidents, a lot of potential for accidents. Terrible security. Probably. There were a number of sequels and prequels made, beginning with 1977's Exorcist II, The Heretic. Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, and Kitty Wynn return, with Richard Burton, James Earl Jones, Louise Fletcher, and Ned Beatty joining the cast. But a cast like that, how did this fuck up? The movie follows Father Philip Lamont as he is tasked by the Vatican to investigate the death of Father Marin. Marin is being posthumously investigated for heresy, and the Vatican no longer believes that Regan McNeil was truly possessed. Of course, the demon Pazuzu has something to say about that. IMDb score 3.8, Rotten Tomatoes score 15%. Not exactly a great follow-up. No. (laughs) Not good, Bob. Not good. Oh, my God. Next came 1990's The Exorcist 3, written and directed by William Peter Blatty. Jason Miller returns with George C. Scott, Brad Dourif, Ed Flanders, Scott Wilson, and Nicole Williamson joining the cast. The movie follows a police lieutenant 17 years after the events of the first film as he investigates a series of murders that share the same M.O. of a serial killer who was executed around the time of Regan's possession. It was based on Blatty's 1983 novel Legion, which was the original title of the film. IMDb score 6.4, Rotten Tomatoes score 59%, and this one's actually pretty good. Exorcist 3 has some creepy moments. Hell yeah, it does. Solid flick. Very scary. Yeah, I mean, George C. Scott's always going to deliver in his A-game. Yes. Weird that he would do this. I know. The third? Yeah, the third Exorcist. Hey man, Brad Dourif. Fuck, all right. Next was 2004's Exorcist The Beginning, starring Stellan Skarsgård as a young father Marin encountering the demon Pazuzu for the first time in East Africa during World War II. Supporting cast includes Isabella Skorupko, James Darcy, David Bradley, and Remy Sweeney. IMDb score 5.1, Rotten Tomatoes 10%. Yeah, Exorcist just keeps getting worse. And then, this is the strangest one, 2005's Dominion prequel to The Exorcist. That's the title. It's the exact same movie as Exorcist The Beginning just edited differently. Apparently, Morgan Creek Productions thought Dominion was doomed to fail, so they quickly hired a new director and recast several parts and edited the old footage together with the new footage to make Exorcist the beginning. After their version failed, they allowed former director Paul Schrader to release his version, Dominion. But this one failed too. Yes. IMDb score 5.2, Rotten Tomatoes score 30%, so it was still received better, not by much. But isn't that weird? That they would make two movies out of the same material, yeah. same footage, almost competing with one another. Like, I've never heard of that being done ever. Like, oh, no, again. no. I mean, for a studio to have so such little faith in a project they've already greenlit and filmed to just say, fuck it, and have somebody else take what's already done and just make something else. Just add on to it, yeah. Like, Jesus. It's kind of sad. Very sad. I got to see these movies. I know they're going to suck, but I got to see like, I gotta how see different them all. are they? Yeah, yeah. Finally, there was a short-lived TV series titled The Exorcist that lasted two seasons on Fox from 2016 to 2018. It starred Alfonso Herrera, Ben Daniels, and Kurt Iguian as three priests who deal in exorcising demonic spirits from families. It was intended as an anthology series and a direct sequel to the original film. Co-stars include Gina Davis, John Cho, Alan Ruck, and Brianna Hildebrand. Despite lasting only two seasons, The Exorcist was praised by critics. IMDb score 8.1, Rotten Tomatoes score 89%. Mm. So pretty good. I think that's higher than the movie. Yeah. So The Exorcist is a horror classic that will live forever. I give it an 8. How about you? 9. 9. Okay. Was it 10? Was a 10, like, years ago yeah. when I hadn't seen as much? Was it an obligatory 10? Like, you have to give this movie a 10? No, I no, I truly, and I still, I truly love it. Like, I love it. I've just seen more. Like, I'm, I've seen a lot of stuff now. There's more things to compare it to. Yeah. And again, I still would give it a 9. It's just not quite, like, I would say, like, in, that, in this, um, like, family of horror movies, like, The Possession and all that, yeah. Hereditary is my favorite. Okay. It's... I just think it's the most well-crafted. Like you said, I think Damon is just fucking relentless. 
uh, it just scares the shit out of me. Yeah. But uh, the, the Exorcist, it's, it's almost 50 years old. I think what scares me the most about Payman is that there's no fat. Like, there's no, like, I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to kill your family. It's just, like, snap, snap, snap. I need, I need to get to, yeah, survival. He, yeah. he acts. Yeah. It's it's really, it's, it's freaky. And I, you know what? Probably, yeah, me too. I think it's the most disturbing. Love The Conjuring, of course. Yeah. Obviously mentioned that one a few times. Um, what <laughs> else do we have? Uh, I haven't seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose. It's been on my list for a long time. Um, the Possession with Jeffrey Dean Morgan I thought wasn't bad. Yeah. Obviously, Conjuring 2, obviously. Yeah. The Haunting in Connecticut, honestly, has some points for Yes, me. yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's plenty out there, and this was, like, the first big one. Yeah. This is the, the mecca. True. The mecca of, like, uh, made a lot of money. And it was a possession, yeah, a horror possession movie. It's really, really amazing, a piece of, like, film history. Oh, yes. There are thousands of movies that wouldn't exist yeah. without The Exorcist. Yeah, I agree. So, before we get into Friday's episode, Filmgasm contributor Caleb Leger has sent in his thoughts on The Exorcist. So, let's see what he has to say. As a horror fan, there are several moments where you're challenged to test your cred. Whether it be the most graphic, disturbing, or scariest movie ever made, this horror fan gets called out by some gatekeeper. Can we stomach it? Can we make it to the end? There's only one way to find out. But before we do, let's add a unique factor associated with some films. That factor being that the movie is also considered a classic of the genre. So now you're being questioned on if you've even seen the film yet. All of this equals to another day in the life of a horror fan. You're probably wondering, how does The Exorcist fit into all of this? Well, it's a monster classic of the genre that was considered the scariest film ever upon its release, and to some, to this very day. The audience reaction upon initial release is legendary. People fainting, vomiting, and running out of the theater due to the disturbing imagery and sheer fright. And for this horror fan, it still terrifies me to this day. Growing up, I was raised in a religious household. My mom is Catholic, so church and being taught about God slash Jesus in general was a regular part of my life. This has probably helped in my belief in the supernatural and demons. Just a little extra background as to where I'm coming from in viewing this film. The Exorcist deals with its religious themes head on the daughter having strange things happening around her, a priest whose faith must be restored. This may sound cliche now, but that's because it all started here. The Exorcist laid the groundwork for all future exorcism films. It's also still the best. And that's because of two key things, in my opinion. The first is that while an amazing horror film, this also works as an incredible drama. You, yes. the audience, care about these characters and their plight. So when the scary stuff happens, you're actually scared. But that's only half the key. The other half is the incredible performance by Linda Blair as Regan McNeil. Originally a highly controversial casting decision due to her age and the movie's content, Blair has gone on to become a horror icon. Her ability to switch from a sweet, innocent child to a vulgar, demon-possessed child is nothing short of amazing. Her status is well-earned. I could go on forever about this movie. Fact of the matter is, The Exorcist is a classic for a well-deserved reason. It's not just a classic, it's a titan of the genre. This movie scared the shit out of me as a kid when I first viewed it, and it still scares the shit out of me to this day. This is a perfect horror classic that has never been matched. 10 out of 10. Hell yeah. <laughs> totally agree with how it, it works very well as just a drama. Yeah. And I think that's the point of, like, I, I think, like, Hereditary does that as well. I think all the good horror movies can work work as something else as well. Yeah. That's, that's why, like, people people watch, went and watched The Exorcist is because it wasn't just this horror thing. It was like this cultural phenomenon. One Titan, like yeah. he said. An important thing about any movie is you have to be able to relate and care about the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a good horror movie will bring that to you and then just fuck these people. Yeah, whether, whether that be like a prison movie, a, like a gang movie, a, a horror movie, a possession movie, no matter what it is, you, you gotta have like some sort of rel relatability. Yeah. That's, that's just the fact of the matter. Absolutely. Thanks for the insight, Caleb. Love it. What are we doing for Friday, Austin? Oh, boy. What do you think, you know? The, <laughs> the, the reason The Exorcist was able to be what it was and how it got made and how Friedkin had all the freedom he did and how he was able to get away with a lot of what he did is because he came out with a movie called The French Connection <laughs> two years prior. We're going to talk about that on Friday's episode. One of my favorite movies of that decade. One of my favorite Best Picture winners of all time. Uh, one of my favorite, like duo male, you know, performance you know, between Hackman and, and Roy Scheider, just stellar, stellar film. 
one of the coolest one-two punches of all time for a direct <laughs> for a director. Oh hell yeah! Uh, the rest of his career does not come near uh, what these two films did, uh, th- and that's that's not just like my opinion. That's just kind of fact. It's hard that's, to top that. That's like box <laughs> office. That's that's awards. That's everything. You know. Yeah. Uh, th- these two films are very important for the seventies, starting off that decade, and very important for his career. This one's important for horror. The other one's important for action movies. It's just felt like it had to be done. Hell yeah. So Friday we'll be doing the French Connection. Yeah, episode 53, yes. Very excited. So without further ado, let's see what happened this week in film. Oh boy. The previously canceled action thriller The Hunt finally has a release date of March 13th. Yes. The Hunt was a film about rich people abducting strangers and hunting them for sport, and it was pulled from release last year after a tragic mass shooting. But now we will finally get to see the movie, and the latest trailer is milking the cancellation for all it's worth. They're billing it as, quote, the most talked about movie of the year is one nobody's seen yet. This March, decide for yourself. Bit arrogant, but... And not true. <laughs> I don't hear people talking about this. I haven't heard Like, anything. ever. I forgot yeah. until the I, trailer came Last out. night, <laughs> I was at dinner, and my brother was like, you remember this Hunt stuff? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 it's coming. All right, cool, neat. Yeah. I, I want this to be good, but this is going to bomb so hard. Yeah, probably. And... <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably talk about it. We yeah, can. well, so it's, you know, we're in the middle of February now, and yeah. there's already been, like, it, for horror, there's already The Turning, The Grudge, Lodge is about to come out, um, Underworld with Christian Stewart. Oh, yeah, Underwater. Underwater, yeah, sorry. Underworld. I forgot about that. Underwater. I mean, it's just been bad. Horror has <laughs> not done well. Pretty- it has not made money, and there hasn't been, like, a gym yet. To be we're hoping, fair, we're hoping it's coming. Horror has never been like January has never been horror's month. It hasn't been. It's never been. It's dumpuary. Yeah, it's it's never been anybody's month. Yeah, it's just a shit show. Yeah, it, it, you then you get occasionally like Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. That's a that's very rare. It's movies that are fit in on the cusp of Oscar season or horror movies that can't get a, a spot anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's winter. If People we go the, see horror movies. If that we time, want right? the gems. We gotta wait till like March. That's when the real shit starts coming. I really think the Invisible Man is gonna be the first horror movie we see where it's like, okay, yeah, right. yeah, probably. That's a good. That's a good. February twenty eighth. So that bet. comes out nationwide. Very excited for that. Yeah, we'll definitely be seeing that opening weekend. Cannot wait. I think I'm gonna watch the original one for why not the first time to like prep. Why not? Yeah, love me some Claude Rains. Why yeah, not? let's do this. Yeah, I'll probably do the same. Yeah. Next up, James Bobbin, director of 2011's The Muppets, is in talks to direct the upcoming Clue remake, currently starring Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman. This could be good. I'm a big fan of Clue. Me too. I want them to do this right. But those two guys are definitely good names for this. Yeah, I just, I fear, I feel like Knives Out was kind of what I wanted out of a Clue 2, or like mm. a, re- or like a you know, something like that. Yeah. So I just kind of fear like they kind of beat him to the punch, maybe, because Knives Out was so good. I can see that. But maybe I'm completely wrong. Clue, this has something totally different to do, and it, it, will, it obviously will help you out, because I think the cast is going to be fucking kick-ass. Yes. It's already a good start. Yeah. For sure. Rick Moranis is officially coming out of retirement to reprise his role of Wayne Zielinski in Disney's upcoming reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Well, I'm very excited that Rick Moranis is finally rejoining Hollywood. I wish it was for something else. Same. Same. <laughs> like, this is the one? Yeah, okay. God, they've been trying to get him for Ghostbusters 3 for 20 years, and they get him on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. While there's going to be a Ghostbusters exactly. 3. <laughs> exactly. And a little shop of horrors. Fuck. He yeah. should play. I want him to play, like, Mushnick or something. Yeah. Or the dentist. That would be awesome. <laughs> he should be some. He should have, like, a passing cameo something. or something. Got to. But I'm not. I'm glad he's coming back. I'm glad that he's able to come back. That everyone wants him back. Yeah, because he left Hollywood for the right reasons. And now that he's raised his kids, he's ready to step back in there. I respect the hell out of Rick Moranis. It's fucking awesome. Disney has announced an upcoming sequel to the live action Aladdin remake. No surprise there. It was a huge hit. And unless they're doing the Return of Jafar, I don't give a fuck. I didn't. Even, I still haven't seen the. Uh... It's 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 good for what it could have. Like, for what it's supposed to be, it's not bad. Yeah, that's what I heard, yeah. It's not Aladdin. Like, the great, you know, the Disney. Just keep that out of your head, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Billie Eilish's That's kind of what you have to do with all of them, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Billie Eilish's new Bond theme has been released. The song is titled No Time to Die, same as the movie. 
And I think it sounds awesome. Yes, I did. I listened to it. We talked about that, I think, on the Oscar show. Yeah. Briefly. Incredible. <laughs> really good song. Yeah, it fits right in with that. Yeah, with that. Doesn't it get you, like, chills for the movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what that, that song always does. It comes out a couple months before, and it's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> I don't need trailers. I really don't. You give me that good song, and he puts me right in that, that atmosphere. I know I'm going to get two hours of, uh, of entertainment. So yeah, I can already tell that movie's going to be hard to top for the year. No time to die. I'm, I can't wait. It's just so early. Like, it comes out in April, and then, yeah, it's going to be like The King. It's going to be like, oh, Bond was the best. And then, and then there's just going to be a slew of movies that come out in you know, August, September, yeah. October, and it just becomes mayhem. Love it. <laughs> Uh, Rufus Sewell has been cast as Elvis Presley's father, Vernon Presley, in Baz Luhrmann's upcoming Elvis biopic. Interesting uh, cast. So it's going to be Maggie Gyllenhaal and Rufus Sewell as Elvis's parents. Yeah. Interesting. This is going to be good. Matt Reeves has released the first look at Robert Pattinson in the Batman costume in a 30-second video. It looks fantastic. Yes, it does. Very excited. So uh, next up, Dexter Fletcher is attached to direct a remake of the 1997 Val Kilmer flick The Saint based on the 60s British action series starring Roger Moore. Who is this for? (laughs) Don't know. The Saint. They keep trying to make that one work. I don't know why. But give it up. (laughs) You're not going to get another equalizer. Just stop. No. Oh, no. (laughs) The trailer for Wes Anderson's new film, The French Dispatch, was dropped. It sports what may be the greatest ensemble cast ever assembled. I mean, for Christ's sake, listing them all would take an entire podcast, but it is like everyone who's ever worked with him, plus a whole bunch of newcomers. Yeah. And it looks delightful. (laughs) That's all for this week, listeners. Hope you learned a thing or two about The Exorcist. Enjoy the French Connection on Friday. Next week, we're going deep into the woods of Burkittsville, Maryland, to a film that revolutionized low-budget horror and scared so many people into thinking they were watching the real final hours of three lost hikers. It's time for our first found footage movie, 1999's The Blair Witch Project. It's been too long since I watched this 90s horror staple, and it's time we give it a good long filmgasm. Yeah. I'm excited to go back to it because, yeah, I don't, I don't like it, but I haven't seen it in a while. Same. Uh, it's been a few years since I've like sat down and watched it. I think I'm going to watch it alone and try to like really... Yeah, turn off the lights. Yeah, try really, to get into really go mindset. there and really put my head into 1999. I used to live around that area. There you go. So my backyard looked like the Blair there Witch you Project. Go. So I'm excited, I'm excited yeah. to give it another go. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I won't make any promises. It might not be the most fun episode. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I saw it like four years ago for the last time. If you're a fan and, of the Blair Witch Project, do not expect a big... You know, we're not going to suck its dick. We're going to probably tear this movie apart. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I'm saying right now, I'm giving it that chance. I'm going to yeah. watch it again. I still got to go buy it. I'm going I'm to fucking buy we it. We give every movie, we watch it as close to the recording as we can so we have it fresh in our minds. Exactly. Even if we've seen it a million times so we can get a fresh mindset. So we're going to give Blair Witch a chance, but we both don't really like it that much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. Straight up. Yeah. Until next week, don't play with any Ouija boards. Don't invite demonic spirits to play with you. And if your child starts moving things around the room with their mind and making the bed shake uncontrollably, maybe see a priest before you see a psychiatrist because it's probably not nerves. See you Friday. Mm-hmm.